All right, if you're here for the Psalms, the gentlemen are handing out notes. And we're going to find our way eventually to Psalm 56 this morning. Uh, But we're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 21 this morning. Pastor was mentioning guffaws last night. I committed heresy, so I felt I needed to uh, at least confess that before you all. We're, We're doing the scene and... There's one part I'm playing Joseph, and I'm, I'm looking at the rabbi, and I'm telling the rabbi that, that Mary, you know, obviously Mary has not been with any, any man, and he's arguing with me. I'm, I'm telling you, rabbi, she's not been with any other man. And I said that, and I'm like, oh, wait, that just totally implies that I'm the father of Jesus, and that does not work. And so I was like, whoa, the words you wish you could take back. And sometimes we utter words, and, and we don't understand why. And sometimes words are uttered in the Bible that when we first look at them, we're like, wait, why are, why are they there? I, I don't completely know that I agree or understand. And we're going to find one of those phrases in Psalm 56 when we, when we get there, looking at, um, looking at uh, the psalm that David's going to write. But let's, let's back up the story a little bit. Let's try and get back into the flow of where we're at in David's life. Uh, last week, we, we saw that David was at the point where uh, he was fearful of Saul. Uh, and we saw David move from emotionally from, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to just hold on to the water bottle because my voice is very tired. Um, we see David move from fear into faith. And if you remember backing up in the story, we, we had the situation last week where David is with the, uh, is fleeing from Saul. He's afraid of what Saul is doing and, and the situation that arises there where Saul wants him dead. He flees, he goes out of the, he goes out of the, his house his wife helps him down, and he flees to the town called Nob, where the priests are at. There he meets Ahimelech. As he talks with Ahimelech and spends time with him, uh, Ahimelech gives him some food, and he gives him the, the sword of Goliath, as David asked. And then if you're, if you're with me in 1 Samuel 21, you get down to verse number 10, which we highlighted last week. Uh, but it says that, And David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul, and went to Achish, the king of Gath. So, so we have a situation here. At this point, David is fearful of Saul, but at least now, as we mentioned last week, he has some food and protection. And the, the question that, that arose last week to, as we ended is, how can, how can David offer Abiathar that security? And he can do it because of God's security. He talked about the security that he had found uh, in and through, through God, even in his difficult and, and tumultuous times. And now, as we, as we back up the story a little bit here, um, I put, we can rest in hard times through affirming our faith in God's ability to deal justly with the unrighteous and the faithful. When we, when we look at the story that's going to, to ensue here in, in 1 Samuel 21, David's going to be able to, to really get through some of these hard times. What's going to help him move from that point? Now, if you remember last week, we, we looked at the, the priest at Nob. David goes to Ahimelech. He gets, he gets the food. He gets the sword. And then all of a sudden, we jumped into chapter 22 when Doeg goes and he, he, slays, he slays the priest at Nob in that whole situation. Well, couched in the middle of the, that, that whole account with Doeg the Edomite is some other, some other situations that happen with David in his life. And that's where we want to start focusing over the next three weeks, actually. Three psalms come out of this, this little section in 1 Samuel uh, 21, verses 10 through 15, and then even uh, a little bit into 22. 
But uh, we, we see David move from fear to faith, and that's where Psalm 56, 34, and 57. So we'll look at Psalm 56 this week. In two weeks, we'll look at Psalm 34. And then in three weeks, January 7th, uh, we'll look at Psalm 57. Looking at these, these uh, truths that David's going to highlight, and what got David from that point where he's running in fear, fear from Saul, and moves him to the point when he gets to, to um, Abiathar, and he says, God is sure. I am secure in God. You can come along with me and be secure. What transitioned in his life? What happened? What did David learn? And I believe as we look at these Psalms and as we look at the accounts in the life of David here, we're going to be able to see what helped him move through that. What helped him move from living in fear, running, running away from Saul, and moved him to have this security, this, this confidence in God. So in 1 Samuel chapter t- 21, uh, verses 10 through 12, we read the, the verse, first verse, verse 10, where he's, he fear, f- flees to Achish, the king of Saul. And the servants of Achish said unto him, verse 11, Is not this David the king of the land? And did they not sing one to another of him in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, David is tens of thousands? And David laid up these words in his heart, and he was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So we get to this point here where David's fear of Saul drives him from Nob to Gath. Gath is about 23 miles southwest of, uh, of Nob. Now, one of the things that you start to, to wrestle with here is that David is now moving. He's, he's leaving the, the, the promised land. He's moving out into pagan area, into Canaanite territory, into the Philistine land. So he's, he's, he's removing himself from where God has designed him to be, where God wants him to be at this point. And, and logically, it makes sense. I mean, you look and say, okay, I'm going to distance myself from danger. His danger right now in his mind, I'm running from Saul, just got out the window, just got some food from Ahimelech. Now what do I do? I'm going to get as far away from danger as I possibly can. And David is running, running out of the area that God wants him to be, running away. And he's, he's thinking what seems to be logically. But the illogical aspect of it is where does he go? Let's go to Gath. Now, you think about why, why is that going to be illogical? Why does, it, why does it raise suspicion? It really, when you start thinking about when we are driven by fear, when we allow our anxieties, our our intrepid nature to, to, to scare us, to, to get us to the point where we're wondering what's happening. Sometimes we do things illogically. We might think they're logical at the moment, but we don't take that step back and assess it all. Let me ask you this. Why, in your minds, what would, why would it arouse suspicion, David going to Gath? Sworn enemies, the Philistines, sworn enemies of Israel. What else? What's David been doing all, all along? He's been slaughtering the Philistines. You remember even earlier, there's a great slaughter of the Philistines. Okay, so he's slaughtering them. They're sworn enemies. What else? They're ungodly people, so they don't, they don't have the same moral standards as, as David does. So it's like, hey, we see this guy. What do we do to him? Maybe we kill him. We take him out. They're going to see him. And they, they look. What about the fact of what did David just get? From Ahimelech. He got food and what? Not just a sword. Whose sword? Goliath's sword. What city is Goliath from? Gath. You don't think that him carrying this, remember Goliath's sword was, it was said to be quite large. 
Here comes this guy who everybody knows. How do we know they know him? What were they already saying about him? They knew the folk legends. Oh, he's, he's killed his thousands, you know, but David is tens of thousands. And here comes this guy, and he's carrying Saul or Goliath's sword into Goliath's hometown. He's already slaughtered thousands of Philistines. What's up with this guy? Is it, is it what would drive you to that point? And I, I think there, there's a lot of desperation that's going to occur here. In fact, I think when you look at David's emotional state, there's fear. There's loneliness, which often accompanies fear. Where, where do I go? Who do I go to? What's happening in my life? There's no one else around me. I feel like I'm an island unto myself. Nobody cares about me. Nobody really sees it the way I see it. And, and you feel like everything, though everybody's coming in around you, you feel like nobody is there to help and comfort you. I think there's a lot of desperation. Where else do I go? Everywhere I turn, and we'll see that in the psalm, where he's like, everywhere I turn, Saul's people are coming at me. The Philistines are coming. I don't know where else to go. So I logically, and that's why I think it's a little illogical, let's go to Gath. Let's just, let's, let's wander in. Now the question's going to be, and I, I think there's, you know, is he sauntering in, you know, carrying Goliath's sword, saying, hey, everybody here, I, I don't think that's the attitude. As we'll see throughout the psalm, he's not, he's, 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 David is slow, not slow, he's quickly plummeting down to a very low point in his life, probably one of his lowest, where he's not, he's not seeking God's counsel, He's finding himself in situations where he's making these choices and he's going to end up in a situation that he didn't expect, where he wasn't hoping, hoping to end up. So, so he gets to this point and he's taken captive by Achish's men. Achish, the king of Gath, has, has David now in captivity. We don't know how long. We don't know if it was just... I, it doesn't seem to me like, okay, David stepped over the border and they said, ha, we got you, let's take you in. But somewhere in the whole process of David fleeing from Nob is captured by, by the Philistines. They're, they bring him to uh, the king. Now, in the process, they're, they're going to talk about They call David. They call him, is this not the king? Verse, uh, verse 11. Is this not David, the king of the land? Is David the king? No, he's not. He, now, he's the anointed king. But there's, they're definitely poorly informed but they're extremely insightful. They see, they understand that David's the one who he's been doing all these things and he is leading the people. The people, he has the heart of the people. They're following after him. He's the one driving the conquest. So the people, even though he's not in the, the position of king, the, the, the Philistines, they see David as, as the king, which is, is important when we, when we get into the psalm. Because remember how, how Canaanites and how ancient Near Eastern individuals, they viewed with the king came the divine power. And if you could conquer the king, you were conquering the God of those people. And that's, that's going to play into how David is going to write here in, in a few moments. They also say, hey, didn't, didn't they sing about this guy? Did, wasn't this the guy that they were saying, hey, Saul's killed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands? Some of those tens of thousands were who? They were, they, were, they were their kin. They were their relatives. We're not, we're not talking about, you know, cities of millions of people. We're looking at a smaller, a smaller town, a smaller area. Gath, I mean, they could have been related to Goliath. They may not have been. But these individuals, they knew individuals who had been slaughtered at the hand of David. 
And so now they have this man, public enemy number one. It would be, it would be as if, um, if you take the FBI's most wanted board and like one of those gentlemen, on the, one of those men on the FBI's most wanted board that we knew of walked in here and we were able to lay hands on him. What would we do? How would we have, you know, 10 years ago, if Osama bin Laden had walked into our building, how, what would we have, it's like, we know who he is, we'd all jump on him, we'd be calling the police, we'd be getting the FBI, we would want him traped, trap, trap, tra- traipsed, there it is, traipsed off to, to, to be held to justice. That's, where, that's what's happening here with the Philistines and David. They've got David, they've got public enemy number one, and now they're going to take him, they put him into prison, and, and he's battling. David's attempt to find refuge outside of God only invokes greater fear loneliness and desperation. That's where we end up in verse 11. He, he hides these words in his heart. He's listening. He's hoping maybe that he can somehow scheme and work his way and, and cunningly work his way into safety in, in Philistia. And yet he finds himself in a situation where it's not the case. In fact, he fears even more What's going to happen to him because he's hearing what these people are saying? Oh, he's the king. Oh, he's killed our brothers. We've got this guy. Let's, let's do him harm. We don't know how long he was in captivity. We don't know how long all of that takes place. But we know that's where we find David at this point in, in a, a low mire of depression, a low mire of desperation and fear, loneliness. And that is where out of, out of that situation right there, Psalm 56 is written. Psalm 34 is going to be after the account. Psalm 56 is while he is in the mire, while he's in the muck. So let's go over to Psalm 56 and see what David is learning in this, in this whole process. I mean, really, God is allowing David to make some choices and he's taking him to school. He's going to teach him some, some theological truth and David's going to out of this, learn, and also um, he's, he's going to exalt, exalt God. So we see in Psalm 56, in the psalm title, there's a whole lot of uh, Hebrew words and all, all of that in there. Uh, but uh, if you get to the end, it talks about when the Philistines took him to Gath. So it's talking about that time. So let's, let's write about it. David writes it while he's captured by the Philistines. The capture, remember, is a result of his choice. This is him making the decision to go to Gath out of fear, out of, out of danger. And it, it may seem, again, we might look and say, well, it makes logical sense to me. But to get out of, out of and from under God's protection, out of the land for a Jew to, to walk out and say, God, still, it's, not, it's not what God wanted. And so he's, he's out of that choice. But God allows and uses his poor choice. I was thinking about this. And I was like, you know, there are times in my life I need to, I'm, I'm thankful that God used the poor choices in my life to help teach me lessons. And I need to make sure that I allow sometimes when my children make poor choices for them to experience rather than just protecting them and, and shielding them. They make a bad choice. They need to, they need to experience it. So uh, if they choose not to, to bring their homework to school uh, and they, they, you know, they're going to they're gonna learn. There, there's consequences to that. I'm not going to bail them. I might bail them out the first time and drive the book bag in. But if it's a, comp- a, a repetitive habit, they're going to they're gonna have to learn. And sometimes we allow those natural consequences to, to flesh themselves out. And that's what, that's what happens here. David is going to learn from his poor choices. So he's a prisoner at the enemy's hand, and David is going to cry out for God's mercy. 
He's not saying, all right, we've got the, but he's like, Lord, be merciful unto me, O God. That's his, that's his prayer. That's his heart's desire right away in Psalm 56, verse 1. Be merciful. I, I need your mercy. Now, God's mercy, it, is, it, it can be defined, defined this way. It's God's long-suffering and the withholding of due consequences. He doesn't, he doesn't come and say, your grace is sufficient for me at this point. He's like, Lord, I need your mercy. I, I deserve these consequences. I'm in a situation because of my choices. Please withhold. Please keep them back. He's appealing to God's tender-hearted, loving compassion toward the needy. That's another way to talk about mercy. He, mercy is that compassion towards somebody who's in need. David, David's in need. He's at that situation where he's like, I, I, got, I have nowhere to, I'm in a cell, maybe in a little, you know, down below deep in a dungeon. We, we don't know exactly what the prison's like. But at this point in his life, he's looking and saying, I, I'm completely needy. And God, I need your compassion. Look down on me with those compassionate eyes. See the man who is miserable. And mercy often highlights in, in the scriptures, God's mercy uh, sees man's miserableness. He looks out. I mean, Jesus, when he's moved with compassion, with mercy on the people, he's seeing, he's seeing Jerusalem, and he's weeping for them. Why? Because he sees them as, a, as, a, as chicks that, that have no one to, to bring them together. Uh, they, he sees them as individuals who are going to basically die, suffer, suffer wrath, and that moves him because he understands their miserableness. So David is, is pleading out to God, asking for his mercy, begging Lord, I'm in these situations. Part of it is my fault. Part of it is going to be the result of other people. But I need you to withhold, please. I'm begging you. Withhold some of these consequences. Have compassion. Have kindness on me. So he begs, he begs for that mercy. Now when we look at the, let's look at the characters that are going to come out in this psalm. Because David's going to talk about three different people. Obviously there's David. There's God. And then there's, let's, we're going to talk about man in this, in this situation here. So you have David who's running. He's a prisoner. He is, it's important to remember, he is the anointed king of Israel. He has already been told, you are going to be king. This is what is going to happen. God is the, and he's going to appeal to it. There's going to be an interesting, uh, we can highlight it now, but we'll get to it later. Verse 10. uh, every, Every time he uses God in this psalm, he uses the word Elohim. But when he gets to verse 10, he talks about in the Lord or Jehovah, the covenant-keeping God of Israel, the one who has made these pacts. He says, that's the one too I'm going to praise. He, he doesn't just use the term God in general. He is going to appeal. He's going to remember more the vastness of God's, uh, his, his keeping of his covenant with Israel. And God is the one who has appointed David. Now, Samuel anointed him, but God is the one who appointed and said he's going to be the next king. So those are, those are words that David's holding on to. They're, they're the words that get him through this difficult time. And he's going to highlight the fact that words are important to him in this psalm. That the word of God is, is necessary in getting through those fearful times and getting out of the mire, getting out of the depression, getting out of the devastation and the desperation. It's through, through God's word. Now, man here, he says, there's a couple different things that come up with man. Is it the Philistines? Is it talking about non-believers? Which it seems like down in verse number seven, uh, 
uh, shall they escape thy anger? In thine anger cast down the people. Talking again about, it seems like the nations or the people outside of Israel. So there is a tip of the hat like we saw earlier in one of the previous Psalms. Uh, that David talking about some of the non-believers, may they not escape their iniquity and their, their injustice. Could it be Saul as well? It seems like David is going to still be thinking about his whole situation as a whole. Both the, the battle with Saul and the battle now that he's entrapped with the Philistines. So he's, he's looking at, at both dynamics here as he, as he plays through. Now, let's, let's take some time and talk about the specific characteristics of these men. There, there is a relentless fury, I'll give you the three, a dogged pursuit, and a multiple front attack. So as David is going to talk about these men that are coming against him, he basically is going to look at, man, they're coming at me from every, every example. Look at, look at what he says in the verse of 56, 1 and 2. Be merciful to me, O God. For man would, would swallow me up. The, the word here literally means to be hounding after, like a bunch of dogs, ravenous dogs, who are coming at me and are trying to swallow me whole. He's fighting daily, he fighting daily oppresses me. Notice that it's a, a daily oppression. It's, it's a continual. It's that constant. It's that, it's that fighter who just keeps punching and punching and punching and punching and punching. And throwing it and throwing it and throwing that jab that's just going to continually wear the person down. He says, that's how they're coming at me. My enemies would daily swallow me up. For they be many that fight against me. So he says, they're coming from multiple different directions. I'm facing all of them. You know, and David basically is going to move from the hounds of Saul to the house of Achish. And it's going to throw his life into a tumultuous wreck. So they're coming at him with this relentless fury of these dogs. They're coming at him with this constant attack of this fighter. And they're coming at him from multiple directions. And David is looking and saying this relentless pursuit caused David to cry out to the Most High. Basically saying, I'm overwhelmed. I need your mercy. I, I can't, everywhere I turn, somebody's coming at me. Everywhere, I, every, everything I face, I feel like the just world is caving in upon me. And David looks and says, through all of that, help me. Give me mercy. And he, he talks about uh, almost high. Now, uh, down in verse number two, depending on what translation you have in front of you, you're going to have, there, there may be some differences. Some of you may not have where it says almost high. Some of you may have where it talks about the proud are, have exalted themselves against me. Um, and there's, there's a lot of debate, and we won't get into all of the debate on to which way it is. I personally, uh, I believe that it is that idea of almost high, because David, writing his poetry here, he, uh, he starts off with God. He says, oh God, and then he talks about man swallowing me up, the fighting, man swallowing me up, there's fighting, and then he ends with almost high, or ends with God. So he brackets this, this whole idea of everybody coming against me, Everything swarming in around me, he brackets it with your God. And you are the most high God. The, the, word, the word that's used for the almost high is actually a really interesting word. It actually is the word proud. He's, he says, you are, you are the proud God. You are the, the God who you know you're above all, and we know that you're above all. It's a very, very few times used, word used, maroon, for, for God. And so he looks and says, 
You're, you are a proud God. You are a God who's above all. And I'm going to appeal to that because I'm sitting here as a king in a foreign land and I'm about to probably be put to death in David's mind. And so David appeals to God's mercy saying, I'm completely overwhelmed. Now look at the nature of the attacks of these individuals. And this just, this baffles my mind because if I'm in prison, I'm worried about my life. I'm worried about being physically tortured by the enemy. But David here, that's not what he's worried about. Look at verse 5. He says, every day they rest my words or they're twisting my words. All their thoughts are evil against me for evil. They gather themselves, they hide themselves, they mark their steps, and uh, they wait for my soul. He, he highlights the fact that though he's a prisoner, what bothers him most is that they're twisting his words. They're slandering him. Now, whether this is Saul, again, possibly, he could be talking about both. Saul back in the land, looking and saying, he's twisting my words and he's getting people to rise up against me so that people will not follow. And he's making me look like the villain. Or is it now the Philistines looking and saying, you're the king? You're, you're, you've killed your thousands? Well, guess what we're going to do to you? And they're, they're taking maybe some of David's words and twisting them. Why, why does this bother David so much? Why does the idea of slander, the idea of, of taking somebody's words and twisting them to your own agenda or twisting them to make them look more inferior, why, why does this bother him so much? In order to do that, let's do a flashback. And, and I, I don't know that this is the case, but when I was really wrestling through, trying to figure out what is it about David's personality, what is it about him that, that really frustrates him in this idea of uh, slander, speech against God, against God's kings, against God's appointed, anointed individuals. I went back and I was thinking about Psalm se- or 1 Samuel 17. Do you remember when Goliath is out there challenging the, the, the people of Israel? And he's looking at them and saying, I will be the champion. I will take out your, your people. You will be subservient to us. And he, he gets to the point where, as he's saying this, uh, verse 23, uh, David's going to highlight. It says, And as he talked with them, behold, there came the champion, the Philistine Goliath, by the name of the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to uh, the same words. And David heard them. So David's heard this challenge now. And everyone's afraid, verse 24. Now down, if you go down to verse 26, David spoke the, these words to him saying, what shall be done to this, uh, the one that kills the Philistine, that takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? He looked at what, what Goliath is saying, and he's saying, you are saying this in defiance of not just the armies, but the armies of the living God. You are saying this against our God, against the God. In fact, in 45 and 46, he highlights again, uh, Toward the end, David says, Come then with the sword and the spear and with the shield. But I come to you, Goliath, in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the army of Israel, whom you have defied. You've you've set yourself up against him at the end of verse 46. That all the earth may know that there is the God, there is a God or the God in Israel. David looked at Goliath's slander against God's individuals against God's army, against Saul, against God's leader. He looked at that not as just, just tearing down the individual, 
But David, David saw it more as when, when he slandered God's people, God's leader, or God's army, David saw this as an affront to God, to Jehovah. He looked and said, you are, you are tearing down the one whose image they bear. You are, you are ripping to shreds their God. And I think for Christians today, this principle, this truth is, is something we need to wrestle with. That when we find ourselves tearing down God's people, when we find ourselves twisting other people's words to make ourselves look better, when we find ourselves ripping apart churches that share the true gospel, now I'm not talking those who are not, those who are uh, in heresy, that's a, different, that's a different aspect. When we find ourselves quietly behind closed doors tearing our pastor down because we don't like something that he did or the way he handled something, how does God view that? David looks and says, hey, wait a second. That's an affront to God. He says, you're slandering my God. And David took that personally. And I believe that's why back in Psalm 56, he, he looks and he says, every day they're twisting my words. They're, they're slandering me and, and, and I'm one of God's people. I'm, I'm God's uh, appointed king. They don't know that yet. But in his mind, you are, you are assaulting, you are accosting my God. And to the Philistines, take the context of being in Philistia, and they're looking, could some of those, into, yeah, so much for your God, David. Look at you. You're here in our prison. He didn't, obviously didn't protect you. Yeah, you might have killed some thousands of us, but we've got you now. And whose fault is it that David's in that prison right now? It's his own. Yeah. God's allowed it to happen. But David's put himself in that situation. So now he's looking and saying, wait, oh. I've even given my own self. It's ultimately Saul has driven me out and now it's Saul twisting his, my words and causing me to have to flee. It's put me in this situation. All these things are happening. And because of this, Jehovah is being slandered. Our God is being diminished in the eyes of the Philistines because here I am. They see him as the king of Israel laid captive in the prison. So David, David sees this idea of slander, of, of tearing and twisting people's words. He sees this as something that, that we need to be very careful of. And then he also talks about that they are continually, what else are the enemies doing? They're continually plotting to do him harm. That's those ideas in, in verse 6 where they're gathering themselves to hide themselves. They're marking his steps. They, they're waiting for him in, in, in the bushes, so to speak. They're, they're looking. They know everything he's going to do. They're, they're plotting the course. When is the ideal time to, to snag him? So David is looking, and, and out of this comes these words where, where I look, and I don't understand them at first. Because, let's, let's just be honest, what is the ability of these men? What can man do to me? Now, in the psalm, look, look in verse number, uh, verse 4. He says, I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Down in verse 11. He says, uh, I will not be afraid of what man can do unto me. What can man do to you? There's a lot that man can do to you. I, I, there, was a, there was a commentator. He wrote, he wrote this. He wrote, what can mortal man do to me? According to the psalmist um, uh, experience, mortal humans can do quite a lot. 
They can ruin my reputation with slander. They can fire me from the job I need uh, to support myself and my family. They commit, can, can commit adultery and then abandon me in divorce. Human fathers can abuse their defenseless daughters just as other... Uh, he's writing just as other... The other day, two other mothers separated 2,000 miles were reported of... Uh, in the news of taking the lives of their children when they face personal, difficult personal circumstances. He talks about mass graves throughout human history. People can love or they can hate me. They can tear me down, they can value, they can despise each other. We have the power of life and death in many circumstances. So as the psalmist, as the psalmist is looking here, is this just a sense of false bravado? Is this David looking and beating his chest like a guy of, you know, King Kong, just I can take on anything? Is that, I loved it when I, was, when I was searching for pictures of false bravado. This picture of the cat, like holding on to the dog's mouth, this little kitten. It's like, yeah, I've got you, no problem. Really? I mean, it's just like one flip and bite and the, ki- the kitten's done. Is, is that what David is, is saying here? Like, I have this false bravado. I think when you look at the positive and negative of what is being said here and what is happening, it helps us understand this. When the psalmists write this, and, and I, this idea comes up throughout Scripture a couple times, in their confident reliance on God's deliverance and care, the psalmists often paint a picture of invulnerability. They do. What can man do to me? The, the answer in the Hebrew and the answer that we would come up with is it's nothing. What, what, can, what can flesh really do to me? David is implying that there's nothing they can do to me. And yet we look and say, there's a lot that people can do to me. But yet, as the psalmists write these, these are abundant testimonies of the vicious realities of life in a fallen world. What can man do to me? Nothing. But what do I find? I find myself in a prison. I find myself battling through life. I find myself in difficulties where I'm being, being cast away. I see people getting hurt. I, I wrestle through the fact that I hear that all these priests are slain because I just went and took bread. There's, there's the realities of living in a fallen world. And we face those, those difficulties. So how can we come to grips and how can we come to the point where we could stand and say, okay, it's hard, but what can man do to me? What, what, can, what can they really do? And some of you are in situations, and you've been in situations where you, you truly, genuinely fear for your life because of somebody close to you, somebody who lives near you, and you face that. And how do you get to this point where you look like David and say, what can man do to me? Nothing. So David, David looks and says, all right, there's something that he highlights here. In verse 4, he says, what can flesh do to me? Um, and, and this is out of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah 40, verse 6 and 7. He says, The voice said, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? He says this, All flesh is grass, and all the godly, goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the Spirit of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people is grass. Isaiah highlights this, this concept again, that God is the one who is in control, and we are but just mere flesh. We, we have nothing that can withstand even the breath of God. As he blows, he can, he can cause us to, to wilt away. Second Chronicles, Hezekiah is trying to rally the people. Sennacherib has sieged the city of Jerusalem. And he's, he's rallying them and he says, Be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that's with him. For there be more of, uh, with us than with him. That's not numerically true. That was not even the case 
numerically. Sennacherib's army, the Assyrian powerhouse of the world at that time, surrounds Jerusalem. They're laying siege. Jerusalem's going to get to the point where, where they are, when you read through the accounts, they're eating their own, their own waste in order to survive. They're considering into cannibalism and what do we do? Where, how do we survive this? And he looks, that's okay. With him is the arm of flesh. That's the word again that David uses here. The arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people rested themselves upon the word of Hezekiah, the king of Judah. Though they were in a far more desperate situation than most of us find ourselves in. They look and say, you're right. With Hezekiah, he does it in his own strength. He is man. It is in his flesh. We have God with us. And that's what David starts to appeal to. Do you get the sense as we go through these Psalms that David's view of God might be much more grand than maybe some of ours? Sometimes I find that, okay, God can do this and God can do this. But really, God can, God can escape me out of the prisons of the Philistines or give me the ability to figure out how to get out. God can be merciful to me in that difficult time. He uses another phrase. In verse 1, he talks about man. He says, um, for man would swallow me up. The word that he uses here is not Adam, which is the usual word for man. But the word he uses here is literally, what can weak man, scrawny man, who has no strength, what can they, you know, they're the ones who are coming against me. So he's, he's coming to grips with the fact that, wait, I'm so worried about how strong they are, how mighty they are. But as he starts to wrestle through and figure it all out, he's like, wait, when we look at man and we look at God, wait, man, you are a weak man. Now in verse 12, he uses the word Adam. He says, what can any man, mankind, humanity, what can, what can they all do to me? He gets to that point where he's starting to wrestle through and he sees, he sees mankind. He says, man will not prevail against the divine. It will not happen. God is God. He is superior to all human flesh. David highlights the fact, and he comes to a point that man is feeble. That does not make it easier. That does not make us look and say, well, yes, I, I agree. But my situation still is difficult. The battles I'm facing, I still have fear. So David goes on, he says, well, let me show you what the consequences of these men are. In 7 and 9, he talks about that they will not escape their sinfulness. He says, shall they escape by iniquity? And for an answer is no, they're not going to. They will not escape their, the God's justice will bring them down. He says, in your anger, cast down the people. Your, your divine wrath, your wise judgment, cast them down. And then he says, after I pray this, and after I pray to you, verse 9, when I cry unto you, shall my eyes turn back? This I, or mine enemies, excuse me, turn back. This I know, for God is for me. He highlights again that they will retreat, but David brings it, he says, because God is for me. All these consequences of, the, of them are not because of David. David has no ability right now. He's in prison. He's a captive. And he looks and says, it's the divine. It is God. You are the one. You're for me. I'm trying to be faithful to you. I need to, to work at being more faithful to you, God, as he'll highlight toward the end. And I want to live for you. Help me in this situation. So he, he goes back to that point. Now, as I look through the psalm, and we'll highlight a couple more things in some of the verses we've skipped over here in a second. 
what are, what are the principles that David's drawing out here? As he looks at this whole psalm, and he starts to look at the fact that God is faithful, man is feeble. That I need God's mercy in the midst of my difficulties. What does he highlight? He says, there are times that I will be afraid. Fear is the natural outcome of tumultuous times. You, you, if you say, I'm not afraid of anything, to me, that's, that's probably a false bravado. Because there are times where, where we struggle with fear. What's going to happen? Lord, I don't know what's going to, how am I going to pay this bill? Lord, what's going to happen with my family at this time? Lord, I just lost my job and, and life is, you know, completely a train wreck. I don't know how to handle this individual at work. They keep saying these things about me and it just, it's, it's spiraling me out of control and my life. And I just, I'm really battling. There are times, verse three, he says, what time I am afraid. David says, when the times I, I fear. Verse number, verse number nine, he says, when I cry unto you. No, notice, it's not just, I think sometimes we, we like to, especially, you know, uh, as men at times, we like to look at that word cry and just say, it's just a prayer. It's just, it's just prayer, but it is emotive, it's an emotive response here. David is saying, when, when my tears are flowing to you, God, when, when I am really, really at this low point and I need you, there is this point where David's like, I, I'm, I'm fearful. Fear and faith, they coexist because the point about trust or fear is the object. You get into a situation and we make a decision as to what we're going to focus on. A lot of times being able to work through our fear and have the courage to go through is, is making sure that our focus is on the correct object. David's saying it needs to be on the God, on his mercy, on his strength, on his divine nature. But I tend to get into a situation, I focus on the circumstances. I focus on what man can do to me. I focus on the what ifs, the things I can't control. I, I don't, what about this and what about, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't live in the what ifs. I have to focus and I have to make sure that the object of my faith is on God, even in those difficult times. Trust does not end fear. I think this is important to understand. David is saying, I have faith, I'm trusting in God, but it does not end fear. But it does make it possible to live with it. Notice the number of times. Verse 3 says, I will trust in thee. Verses 10 and 11. He says, in God I put my trust. Notice he says, I have done this. I've put my trust in God. I will not be afraid of what man can do to me. In God, verse 10, I will praise his word. In the Lord, will I praise his word? So he, he talks about, he talks about the, the future. He says, I, I'm going to face this fear, but I know it's possible. The time to exercise great faith is in the midst of fear. Now, that doesn't mean we don't exercise faith at any time, but we really see our strength. And some of you have commented on that personally to me, where you're like, Pastor, I've went through this really hard time, and through it, God just grew my faith. He helped me to really rest more upon him during those times. Faith is activated and confirmed. We're going we're to say it this way. He says, my faith has been activated. David's battling in faith. David is at the point where he's, he's struggling. He's struggling in his life. He's at the low point. Excuse me. And uh, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna have to reactivate. He's going to have to recharge. He's going to have to say, almost like a revival moment. It's like, wait, and some of you have been there, that moment of revival in your life where you're like, I'm drifting away from God. 
I need to get back on the board. I need to get going in the right direction. He says, it's by the words of God. Look in verse 4 and 10. He, he highlights, I, in God, I will praise his word. Verse 10, in God, Elohim, I will praise his word. In the Lord, or in Jehovah, will I praise his word. Remember those words that were given to David. You will be king. David's, David's trusting in those words of God. You know, even, even the small amount, David had, would have had maybe at this time the Pentateuch, Joshua, and Judges. That's, that's about maybe the extent of the, the word of God that David had. And he looks and says, I am going to rest myself. I'm going to activate my faith in God's words. How much more do we have? How much more ability do we have to know who our God is? What he desires of us? How he wants us to live? How he will respond in the midst of our trials? And David says, I need to be about the word of God. I will praise him because of his words. I trust in his words. And it, it, really, the word of God does confirm us. When you're, when you're going through and you have this idea and this is what you're thinking you're wanting to do and you're reading through God's word and the Spirit uses God's word to just confirm, doesn't that bolster your faith and say, yes, this is what I need to do. This is the direction I, I need to go. It, it's activated and it's confirmed, our faith, by our prayers. The prayers of believers, verses 8 and 9. He says, Thou tellest my wanderings. Put thou my tears into the bottle. Are they not in thy book? David, David's talking about, God, you are aware of what is happening. You know my wanderings. You know where I've went and where I've been and where I'm going. God, you've taken my tears and you've put them in, in a vial. One of the things that was precious back in, 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 in uh, Bible days was, was the tears, especially from a mourner. They would often carry them, they would catch them in a vial and seal them up. And they would seal them up preciously because in a dry, arid land, the, the, the moisture would just evaporate quickly. So they would take those, those tears, oftentimes at a, at a funeral, they would take the, the mourner's tears and place them with the body or put them in the ossuary where the bones were uh, to, to place them there because it was something that was precious. David's saying, you're aware. You're aware of my tears. You're aware of my wanderings, my goings about. He says that, he says, my faith is activated. It's confirmed by walking in the light of life. Notice down in verse 13, he, he's, he wraps up the psalm as he goes through. He says, Thy vows are upon me, O God. I will render praise to thee. For you have delivered my soul from death. Wilt thou not deliver my feet from falling? That I may walk before God in the light of the living. It's, it's not just the, that I can be alive, just rescue me from death. But he says, you have rescued me from death. And allow me to go on in my life. The, the word that's used here is to, to continually walk in my life in the light of the living. In the light of life. In fact, Jesus references, and most commentators believe Jesus references when he calls himself the light of life, referring back to, to this area where, where Jesus, uh, he talks about the light of the living. But David says, I want to live my life walking the way God wants me to walk, in the light of his life, in, in this way. And so David says, my faith will be bolstered. In the future, God, I'm going to walk for you. I'm going to go through the difficulties, but I'm going to walk the way that you want me to times when I really struggle with my faith, if I really am honest, it's times that I'm not walking in the light. I find myself wandering away from God. I find myself not focused in his word. I find my prayer life anemic and my faith battles. 
it waffles, it wavers. And that's where David looks and says, hey, this is important. I truly believe this is a great, a great psalm to take teens to, to take your children to and to say, look, David understood the importance of time with God. The importance of reading. Devotions is not just something we make up for TNT. You know, it's something that for us to be able to get into our, the Bible, to know who God is, to learn how to walk in his ways, to have those prayers because that helps actuate his faith. David is very confident in God's in, uh, intervention, though he has not experienced it yet. And I, I think that's where faith really meets the, the, the rubber meets the road, and it's that difficult time. He, he's like, I will praise you. Verse, verse 11, 12, uh, 13. He's, I'm, he's, still, he's still in prison here, but he's like, I will render praises unto you. Well, you've delivered my soul already. I know that the, you're going to deliver me from falling. He's like, You'll, you're going to get me through. And if he chooses not to, then that is his divine plan, and I have to be okay with that. But whatever it is, it, it is really, truly resting in God as, the, as sovereign. Because of his confidence, David accepted this personal responsibility of praise. He, he doesn't say, hey, when I get out of here, my people are going to praise you, God. He says, we'll, we'll praise you as a church. He doesn't, he doesn't say that. He says, I will take the personal responsibility. The vows are, thy vows are upon me. I will render praise. Make sure we're praising God. When God brings us through those hard times, praise him for it. Share that with other people. It's not a bragging thing. Oh, God did this for me. No. Talk about how great God is and what he's done to get you through. Take that personal responsibility. David's confidence is so bolstered that he's now ready to keep that vow, to offer the thanks that's there. David looks forward to living right with God, as we highlighted in verse 13. And he, he talks about that because of all this, his confidence in God's protective care. He says, that comes from walking with God. How does he know that his feet aren't going to stumble? How does he know that he's, he says, as I'm walking with God. And it's almost like you can see David in this cell getting right with God. Saying, I need your mercy, God. Everybody's around me and I've been doing things my own way. But God, it's about you. You're the one who can get me through this. You're the one who has strength. What can these people do to me? Nothing, because you are the divine one. And I am asking that as you, I'm holding to your word and I'm trusting in your word, get me through this. And as I get out, I'm going to live for you. I'm not going to go back, but rather I'm going to push forward. And he, and he, he, he highlights that because as he looks at it, he says, faith requires us not just to, to enjoy the ultimate benefits, but he says, we need to count the cost. We look back and he says, there are, there are difficulties in our life, fear and faith are going to be present. They're going to coexist. We're going to battle with it. We want to be faithful to God, and there are times that fear creeps in. And, and faith requires us to say, okay, as a believer, there's going to be times that we're going to face those difficulties. There are going to be times we face trials and struggles. I look forward to those days when I, ha- I don't have them, but right now I do. So let me bolster my faith. Let me get in God's word. Let me know more about who he is. Let me pray more. And let me walk in his ways so that we can continue to grow and to be not fearful Christians, but we can be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. So-